there. Welcome to Commercial Real Estate Eyes Wide Open podcast. I'm very honored this week to have a very special guest, uh, Dr. Victor Kalanog. Um, known Victor for a little while in the industry. Uh, Victor, I've, I know you're a leading economist in our field. You have, I've heard you speak many times, and my everybody's takeaway is that you always make it exciting and interesting, which is very hard to do in your field of work. So I really appreciate that. I read a lot of your publications, and I think right now you're head, not I think, I know, you're head of commercial real estate economics for Moody's Analytics. So welcome. Very thrilled to have you. Thank you for the kind words, Anne. And I am excited to be here today because there are a lot of exciting things going on in the economy and commercial real estate. Back to you. Boy, aren't there. Absolutely. Well, before we dive into the economics and commercial real estate and all of that combined, tell us, first of all, I may not have gotten your background. There may be other relevant things you want to say. And most importantly, tell us a few fun facts about Victor that we'd all like to know. Uh, Victor Kalanog originally hails from the Philippines, uh, which mm. is why I might have a bit of an accent, but it's also because I speak a bunch of other languages. One of the things that I do enjoy outside of economic work is visiting other countries and conversing with the locals in their own language. That always makes for exciting stories. And so... You know, now as the world reopens, I'm really excited to visit other countries again. Wow. How many languages do you speak? I probably fluent in about five. And wow. conversant in an additional three to five, I stopped counting. So as long as I that's, can converse with the locals, that's what matters, right? Yeah. Wow. That, that's more than I think any other human I know. So, wow, it's amazing. Um, okay, well, let's make this one all English, just so everybody listening can understand it. <laughs> um, so, the economics okay. might, might not sound like English, yeah. but I'll, I'll make sure that the, that the message is conveyed. <laughs> there you go. It is always really difficult. So let's just jump in. I'm going to ask you probably the question that everybody wants to know, and you told me coming into this call you had the answer. So yes. when are we entering a recession? When will we enter it? What makes it happen? What are the signs? Give us a little bit of uh, your insight here on whether we are going into a recession. And sentiment has certainly turned negative, especially over the last four to six weeks or so. I do believe a lot of folks are realizing that inflation is a bit more persistent than we expected. And now with not just the Federal Reserve, with a bunch of other central banks in developed countries raising interest rates and tightening monetary policy, that's going to slow down economic activity as expected and by design, right? And so... What's happening right now is that we're expecting that economic growth will slow down. Our baseline forecast doesn't count for an outright decline in economic, negative GDP growth, right? In essence, a recession. That's not what our baseline calls for. Now we have ratcheted down our economic forecasts quite a bit. What's going to happen is we're likely going to grow by anywhere from just 1% to 1.2%, and that is very tight for the U.S. economy. In other words, there are known unknowns, there are unknown unknowns, and if you've got an economy that's just growing at above 1%, anything that happens will topple it more easily than if we were growing at a more robust 3 4 5 and we were at above 5% last year. In other words, I'm going to answer the question, we are not yet in a recession, most definitively not. It's also not my job to pronounce when recessions begin, but at 
unfortunately, and that's kind of what you asked, Anne, we're only going to know about it six to 12 months later when it's obvious to everyone that we've been in a recession. So right now, we are not getting a recession. I know it feels that way because stock markets are down. I think it's the worst first half of the year for equity markets in remembered memory in over 40 years. So it does feel like sentiment is negative. We're not quite yet in a recession, although the risks have increased. And I'm going to share a canary in the coal mine that I like personally taking a look at just to make sure we have advanced warning of whether or not we're in real trouble. And that would be the jobs report. And so as long as you've got the BLS saying that employers are creating jobs as opposed to shedding them, this report comes out every first Friday of the month, then I would still be in ambivalent territory. The moment that number turns negative once or even one month, there's a 50% chance we're already in a recession and we're going to find out about it definitively six, 12 months from now. So that's your canary in the coal mine for you. So again, I wanted to strike, I want to keep it real, right? There's a lot of negative sentiment out there, but a recession is technically defined as a broad-based persistent decline in economic activity. And we're not quite there yet, though many parts of the economy, the market appear to be reflecting such. Back to you. In your opinion, do you think there's much chance that we don't enter a recession? Well, we're putting the probability of a recession at 40% for the next 12 months and a statistically uncomfortable 50% over the next 20 <laughs> months. Uh, our, baseline, our baseline economic forecasts will tip into a formal recession calling for it once that probability passes 66%. So just to give you a sense mm. of how these economic forecasts tend to work, that means we need to be reasonably two-thirds percent sure, right, that we're in trouble before baseline economic forecasts tell us that we're there. Right now, we're not calling for it in our baseline forecast. Of course, we have downside scenarios. All that. We, we need to prepare for those downsides. And, and I think part of what's contributing to that sense of uncertainty is not necessarily whether economic activity is increasing or decreasing, but that it's oscillating, right? The sentiment is changing so significantly. Let me ask you, Anne, in your business, when it comes to distressed assets or the financing of commercial real estate investments, does it help that the 10-year treasury hit 3.48% last June 14, and as of yesterday was down below 2.9%? Like, we can plan for recessions, right? <laughs> Meaning the yeah. economic, you can also plan for growth, but it's when the outlook just shifts up and down that it's really hard to plan for things. And I know we're going to transition to this soon, but I think that uncertainty also tends to put a freeze on transaction activity because buyers and sellers just can't come to a meeting of the minds. A buyer will say, no, 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 cap rates need to be lower, right? And a seller mm -hmm price from earlier in the year or last year and say, no, 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 look at where the treasuries are. It's, it's going back down. And so we're not going to accept a cap rate of higher than four or something. And so I think it's that uncertainty which will widen the bid-ask spread and maybe have a chilling effect on transaction activity and deals. Back to you. I was talking to someone the other day and I said, you know, it's almost like 
to, in today, you hit the nail on the head that in today's at least commercial real estate market, the thing that I think what most people are finding unsettling is just the instability. It's not going one way consistently, like you said. It's almost like building a building on while there's an earthquake going on. You know, you can't quite fix two sides because it's moving. And so I think just especially, you know, I focus on primarily on CMBS, which the, the key to make CMBS work is when there's no disruption to the bond payments. So you're looking for stability. And when you have so many moving parts, yeah, yeah, people can't see because it's not video, but your hands are moving up and down to show that we're in like a like a roller coaster, it feels like, right? Or midst of an earthquake. You know, let's let's go. So what I'd like to do, and I'd like to hear from you uh, in our you know five or so minutes left, is let's go a little micro, very micro, and let's talk about. I'd like to get your thoughts on. You know, I wrote your, I read your write up on uh, commercial real estate post COVID. So. Here we are, COVID in theory, I, I think you worded it this way, COVID's not over, but we're over it, right? Uh, so COVID, let's put COVID as behind us for the next conversation. How did offices, how do the, how did the office market, I should say, um, get affected, if you will, by COVID? What do you see in the near future for office buildings? Well, thanks, Sam. I'm going to put myself in the spot here and say, you know what? In March and April of 2020, we were calling for the bottom to fall out for the office sector, right? If you're going to base this COVID-driven recession, these lockdowns, and what happened in the great financial crisis, we thought that performance metrics, rents and vacancies, would perform worse. Guess what? Just to start with some good news, because it's all about negative sentiment, the office sector actually did fairly well throughout the downturn. You didn't have a whole lot of corporate defaults. Uh, you didn't have a lot of households basically having to contend with massive uh, non-temporary uh, layoffs, right? A lot of household wealth actually got built because of massive government support. And so offices actually did fairly well during the downturn. We didn't see a whole lot of distressed asset deals as some funds were expecting. So that's the good news. The somewhat bad news is that I believe the office sector, which has been evolving at least for the last 30 to 40 years, right, really got a kickstart when it comes to this trend of hybrid work. Moving forward, I think a lot of employees are basically convincing their employers that, look, we were productive during the downturn and you need to give us more flexibility. And for a lot of employers are now struggling with that decision of whether or not they still need as much office space if physical occupancy is not going to revert to what it once was. Now, what was it pre-COVID? I know there's a lot of debate around this too, but the best numbers I've seen was that, well, you know what, Anne, we were never in the office 100% of the time, right? You know, I was. We'd, we'd be in the office three to four days a week, but then we'd have to travel to see clients or depending on your job, you'd have to be offsite or maybe you were managing a global business. So you weren't in New York or Atlanta all the time. So the number's closer to 65 to 70%, but based on castle data for card swipes, we're still hovering in the mid 40s, right? So it doesn't need to climb to 100, but we're still at 45%. There are about physical occupancy. You got a lot of employers right now saying, look, over the next five years, our leases are going to expire. Do we renew? Do we shed space? 
where are we in this debate about hybrid work? And I'm not sure there's a definitive answer for that. I think a lot of companies are going both ways. You got the Teslas of this world, with Elon Musk mm -hmm. saying, I better mm -hmm. see you in the office 40 hours a week. Otherwise, you better find another place to work. Other banks are basically trying to get back to the office and yet have backed off, giving their employees a bit more flexibility. Now, let's see whether that conversation changes if and when we encounter some kind of a recession, right? I do think that'll influence that discussion as well. So again, I think I'd like to quote from one of the papers that one of my teammates, Kevin Fagan, published recently. The office sector is likely in the middle of an odyssey, not an exodus. So it's going to play out mm -hmm. over an extended period of time. I apologize for mixing and matching Greek mythology references with <laughs> biblical references, but it really, it really wasn't the catastrophe that we thought it would be in 2020. And just not saying that the office sector is out of the woods. It might play out over several years. Back to you. Okay, good. Yeah, so you're you're seeing the same thing, which is, or, or what you've just articulated is what I think I'm envisioning and hearing, and that is that we really won't know how this all shakes out until all of those bigger, you know, longer term, bigger tenant leases expire. And so yep. the key will be to watch that see what happens and you know uh, yeah, yeah, so we'll, interesting right? statistic for you and the, the number of shorter leases which short, I mean shorter lease terms that were signed spiked from an average of 10 to 12 percent in the past in past periods to over 30 like one third of all leases signed in 2021 were for one year or less talk about being gun shy wow. for commitments right it's you got a lot of employers saying I'm not going to sign that five, 10 year lease until I figure yeah. out where my employees are going to be. I'm going to sign a lease for one year or less. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It is. And now put that into a CMBS loan context and it, and it, it almost doesn't fit, right? It's, it's well, like right. Think about, your, yeah. think about your yeah. CMBS loan, like your right. transition risk. You've got like rollover yeah. risk and so on and so forth. And right. that's, right. that's going to have that ripple effect that you mentioned. Absolutely. Wow. Okay, let's do the same kind of deep dive on uh, retail, you know, I, it's probably a little easier. And I know it's terrible that uh, sometimes I talk in the high level um, property, you know, titles like retail office, we really got to break it down to have meaningful discussion. So let's just let's talk about malls. <laughs> let's take away some of the other retail grocery anchored and stuff. Talk about malls. What do you think will be, you know, what do you think is going to happen in in that space? over the next many years. It's a real world of have and have nots, particularly for malls, right? Mm -hmm. Our average vacancy rate is hovering at around 11, 11.5%, depending on how you cut it and which markets that you measure. That's the average. But then you've got real outperformers, stellar performers like Simon Properties malls that are posting official vacancy rates of 5% or below, right? And so mm -hmm. think about the haves at some 5%, and the have-nots, which are pulling up the overall number to 11 plus percent, right? And so it is emblematic, characteristic of a property type, I think, in transition. And that has been dealing with that threat from online commerce for the last 20 years. Malls in particular, as you noted, are particularly hard hit because so much of their composition is from large tenants occupying big blocks of space that now have businesses that were disrupted. I'm looking at you, Sears. I'm looking at JCPenney. These are big anchor tenants occupying several floors and malls. And God forbid that you're the broker that now has to find a new tenant 
for that kind yeah. of space because Sears vacated. I'll tell you what happened in my town, Anne. What happened to the Sears space in Livingston Mall was that it was converted by Essex County here in New Jersey into a vaccination center. Well, that's not a long-term mm. play, right? So, right, so right. Hope not. Are, yeah. What are you going to do in that space? And by the way, right. they have now most of it because I don't know if you saw the news, but a lot of countries and governments are basically discarding vaccines because of a big drop in demand, right? Yeah. It's, so it, it's not a long-term play. What are we going to do with assets that may well become stranded? moving forward i know there's a lot of news about converting mall space into distribution yeah. centers but i right. i really think it's going to be more an idiosyncratic story as opposed to be a big systematic yeah. trend not that easy it's just logistics no. space requires very different structures and economics versus, you know a serious right back to you and that and, and I'll tell you, you put you put that in the context again of let's say you have a mall, you you financed it in 20, I don't know, pick 2012, 10 years CMBS debt, you're now 2022. Who in the world, I, I, I don't know who they are, but who in the world would feel comfortable in, in a lot of these cases giving another 10-year loan that wouldn't mature till 2032 on that space, right? That's a... Yeah, that's a long time, especially in today's environment where things change so rapidly. I mean, a ten-year loan on an unstable, changing product property type is just going to be a really tough thing. It's going to be an interesting, exciting conversation, right? Which is what yeah, we started yeah. with when we started that's this. Right. Session. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So let's let's end this with one uh, final property type. I mean, there's really only one more I think to talk about. We can leave all the darling ones out and we don't have to talk about multifamily but how about hotels so hotels in my experience and let me tell you just i'm clearly not an economist not a doctor nowhere near have the background you do from my view of things watching this you know hotels got decimated we all know in like march of 2020 some recovered some haven't some i think they all will eventually right but you put a big conference hotel in Chicago as an example. Um, you look at it, and it's not recovered for quite a long time. And now, what do you do? You know, how do you? So, what what would you say overall about hospitality? Are we are we through the worst? Is there still more reckoning that will happen? I, I, I'm just because things got so bad because of the lockdowns. I'm hoping that there's going to be less volatility uh, driven by new variants moving forward. And that hopefully means a bit of a breather for hotel fundamentals. To your point, Anne, uh, conference slash business circuit hotels have yet to recover, certainly relative to leisure destinations. Those guys have been killing it more or less. But now we're entering a really interesting period of possible normalization through the cycle, recessions aside, right? What's happening in some places like the Miamis of this world is that as both a leisure and conference center, they've been posting record ADRs, actually like record highs for the last two to three to four quarters. And so what happens there, I think there's an interesting dynamic at work where there's much less corporate pre-negotiated rates going on because I'm not sure the big banks are willing to buy, buy blocks of space expecting business travel to return, right? So a lot of folks traveling for business are likely paying rack rates off the hotel apps. And so that sustained Miami's ADRs but what if it mean reverts if we enter a point of normalization? Will that mean that those ADRs start falling? That's what our forecasts are calling for, just because 
it doesn't feel sustainable even as occupancies skyrocket back to the 60s and 65 percentage points, the percent uh, levels. And so, again, that's an optimistic note, right? I'm just saying that hopefully future variants, this pandemic doesn't induce localities, certainly not the federal government, to lock down again. That's what that was going to kill hotels again. And, you know, another hopeful note from statistics, we hit a recent high of 98.1%. Last July 1, in terms of airport traffic and travel, as published by the TSA, relative to pre-COVID 2019 numbers. So we're not quite back up to 2019, but gosh, 98.1% sure mm -hmm. sounds worse, right? <laughs> and if you traveled over the 4th of July weekend, congratulations, you helped out. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think we're getting there. I'm hopeful that it'll normalize for this property type, even as I don't deny that it was incredibly bad for uh, just travel and just hospitality in general. Yeah, wow. Well, okay. Any, um, we're going we we've got we're almost out of time. So, any parting words before I just uh, you know we end this? It's any a bit try. It's a bit trite and it's a bit cliche, Ed. But we started with a recession. I'm gonna end with that note too. It's not a recession till enough of us decide that it is. Right? <laughs> when will it become a recession? It's when our employers say we gotta lay off people. It's when Ann and Victor say I gotta cut spending by 10-15% because of all this uncertainty and or prices have just become too expensive. A recession is ultimately a loss of faith, right? And it's at that point when we cut back on things, consumption and investment, that it becomes that self-fulfilling prophecy of yeah well you know what economic activity will decline because you pulled back right and mm. so so i think let's let's wait and see i'm 100 sure there will be another recession i'm just not sure when right economic cycles are but it isn't going to be a recession till enough of us decide that it is does that make sense wow. Well, it didn't, but it does as you explain it. And I thought I've never, ever heard it worded so clearly that it's a lack of faith. It is. It, so, it, it, wow. It's a lot yeah. of faith. And then when, when prices decline enough that it represents yeah. an opportunity, that's when animals, that's how we get out of it, right? That's how, right. you know, it's time to dive back in. It's time to hire more people. We're well positioned to grow again. Our competitors got got like knocked out and so, so that's how we get out of recessions typically it's it's a cycle oh, and so wow. i'm hoping that if we enter one it's not a severe certainly not like the great financial crisis or this last one which was mostly self-induced and that's just me being an atypical economist being somewhat optimistic back to you well victor i will tell you one thing you're not is you're not you have no lack of being able to entertain us. Thank you for bringing it down to kind of simply explaining it, um, for sharing your insight and for, for taking your time today to, to join us. I really appreciate it, Victor. Happy to be here. Thanks again, Anne. Talk to you soon. Thank you. And for everybody else, tune in for our new weekly podcast every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Thank you.